0: For our scripture reading, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, I'll be reading verse 1 to verse 7. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1018. During this Advent season, Advent means coming. So in the month of December, usually churches will have Advent series that is leading, sermons leading up to the coming, the first coming of Christ when he was born of the Virgin by the power of the Spirit. And now we come to Luke chapter 2. This morning we will hear a sermon on verses 1 to 7. This evening for our Christmas Eve service we'll hear a sermon on verses 8 to verse 20. Let us now hear God's word. Luke chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Thus far the reading of God's word. Congregation, I invite you to keep your Bibles open as we look at God's word together. Let us pray. O Father in Heaven, we thank You, O Lord, for revealing to us the birth of the Christ child, for having Your Word inscripturated for us, Your Word written down in the Bible. So that we may learn and know and believe the truth concerning the child who is born. That the Holy One, the Eternal One, the Lord of heaven and earth, assumed human flesh, our very likeness, yet without sin, and dwelt among us. Oh, Father, what a great and profound mystery that the Holy Child, the Holy One, entered humanity to save sinners and grant life eternal. Oh, we pray, Lord, that every ear would hear and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Congregation of Christ, at the beginning of his gospel, Luke introduces his audience. And his audience is namely one man. And his name is Theophilus. Theophilus. And Luke tells Theophilus the purpose of his gospel. The purpose of why he wrote this gospel If you look with me at chapter 1, turn with me to chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Luke writes these words. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Historically, the church has believed that Luke was a physician by vocation. In Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, Colossians chapter 4, Paul expresses greetings on behalf of a man named Luke, the beloved physician. Why is this important? Well, it's no wonder then that the gospel writer Luke, the one that recorded these very words for us, it has a very keen interest in objective truth and facts. If you ask any physician, they want to know the truth about the human body. They need the facts. Luke, being a physician, is concerned about facts. He's not concerned about opinions. He's he's concerned about... The truth. He's concerned about objective truth as he investigated the Christian claims concerning our Lord Jesus Christ, whom Luke himself came to know, hear about through preaching like what's happening this morning, from those who are direct eyewitnesses of Christ Jesus our Lord, He believed in him and loved him. And so Luke investigated this claim, this claim that the world hates, namely the claim that Jesus is the word who became flesh. In the birth of Jesus Christ, we have the very incarnation, the very birth of the Son of God and Son of Man. He not only investigated the holy conception and birth of Jesus, he also investigated Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension because Luke's gospel is the most detailed gospel of the life of Jesus Christ. If you want want someone who's never heard about Jesus or heard about the life of Jesus, if you want to disciple someone through the life and ministry of Jesus, take them through Luke. Luke writes an orderly account to Theophilus so that Theophilus may have certainty concerning the things that he has been taught regarding Jesus Christ. You see, to Luke and to Christians, our faith isn't a blind faith in the sense that it lacks historical background in the sense that it lacks historical truth. No, it's not a blind faith. As much as the world wants to claim that Christianity is a blind faith, you believe in something that is not true or something that's made up from the skies or has no historical background, no truth attached to it. Luke would vehemently object to this. Christians vehemently object to it. The Christian faith is grounded in the truth of God's Word, and Luke's account records historical facts and theological truths that demand, demand that each one give an account whether they believe or not believe. So how will you respond? How will I respond to the orderly account that Luke gives to you and me this morning? especially as it relates to the birth of this child who is Jesus, our Lord. How will you receive the word today? Because God demands from each and every one of us a response. Will you trust in this Jesus? Will you trust in this Jesus who is the most important and greatest person in all of human history and who changed the entire course of human history forever and forever changes lives. If you're a Christian, you know what it means to have your life changed by Jesus. On the first Christmas, the child is born. Luke records it that we may have certainty of the things that we have been taught. This child is born, and first of all, what he records here is that this child is born according to God's providence, which is our first point this morning. This child, Luke writes, is born according to God's providence. Look with me in your Bible again at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Throughout the course of human history, God moved the hearts of kings and princes and rulers to do what? To accomplish his will and purposes. I think of what the author of Proverbs wrote, chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water. In the hand of the Lord, he, that is God, turns it wherever he will. In order to accomplish God's purposes, God, by his providence, that he he upholds all things by his providence, everything that works into place in, in human reactions and nature and all the things that we see in history are by his providence. He moved men in such a way that what they do is what God intends to bring about in human history. And yet, this is a deep and profound mystery because what what we're talking about here is too deep and profound for us. Because in all of this, God is not guilty of sin. It is man who is guilty of sin. It is man who is guilty of willing that which is evil but God uses all things to fulfill his ultimate plan and purpose. There is an end goal in God's plan. And so according to God's providence, what does he do? What does he do? Do you think it's by chance? Chance is actually nothing when we really think about it. What does he do? He moves in such a way that Caesar Augustus decrees a registration, a census, that each person go to his hometown or her hometown and be registered for what purpose? Perhaps for taxes. We take census here. the, The government wants to know the population size, want to know how to do the tax system and whatnot, how much taxes you should pay. Very similar idea back then. God used a pagan Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, without revealing to him the purpose of his will, just as he used Cyrus, king of Persia, just as he used Nebuchadnezzar, just as he used other pagan kings in the past, just as he uses kings and princes and presidents and prime ministers today. Yes, God uses leaders today. he uses Caesar Augustus. The real name of Caesar Augustus was Gaius Octavius. He was ruler of the empire of Rome from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D., 14 years approximately after the birth of the Christ child. He was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar and the Roman Roman Senate gave Caesar Augustus the name Augustus, which means exalted one. Which is very ironic, isn't it? Because who is born? Born of the Virgin Mary's. That child is the exalted one. Unbeknownst to Caesar Augustus. And so Caesar decreed that each man be registered Along with his family and his place of origin, if Caesar knew the result of his decree, he wouldn't have decreed it. If he knew that Christ would be born in Bethlehem, he wouldn't have decreed it. If he knew that the king of kings was born in Bethlehem, that he probably would have gone after Joseph and Mary, just like Herod the Great did. But as it was, the emperor, emperor had no idea what God was doing. And like a master chess player or a maestro, God, in the fullness of time, sent forth his son according to his providence. According to his providence, so that Joseph, Mary, and the unborn child would be in the land of Judah, in the town of Bethlehem. They are not there by chance. For chance is nothing. Chance makes no sense. No, they are there by providence. As each family, head of the family, returned to his hometown of origin to register his family. Ladies, how much of an inconvenience you think this was for Mary? You're traveling about eight months pregnant. We have a lot of pregnant Ladies in our congregation, okay, ladies, you're eight months. And having talked to some of you late in your pregnancy, one of the words I hear so often, I'm ready. (laughs) I'm ready. Anytime now, let it come. I'm ready. Well, this is a time that Mary was to travel with Joseph. Not only that, but it was a not an easy time for Joseph and Mary. Think about the public scorn and shame that they must have felt. They're not even officially married yet and Mary's bearing the Christ child. Think about the rumors, the gossip, the physical pain, the exhaustion. And yes, even this, is according to God's providence. This registration was not by chance, but by the divine will of God working through a pagan emperor, Caesar Augustus. We think of Romans 8.28. For God works out all things. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his Purpose. God is working out the good for Christians in taking this family from Nazareth of Galilee to Bethlehem. Don't let this escape you and me of God doing a work here. And though it was a great inconvenience, though it was painful for Mary and painful for Joseph, It was for their good and for the good of you and me. Because secondly, the good it was for the good of God's people because the child is born in Bethlehem according to God's promise. According to God's promise. Verse 4, look with me in your Bible. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. They were still betrothed. That is, they weren't officially married, but legally declared engaged. And in obedience to the governing authorities, Joseph and Mary and the unborn child child made that trek that that very difficult journey south. The distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem is about 70 miles as the crow flies, as they say. So yeah, if they were doing a straight shot, it was 70 miles. Eight months pregnant, ladies. But it wasn't a straight shot. There were hills, mountains, thieves to watch out for, other obstacles. And so, total, probably about 80 or 90 miles they traveled. Probably took them about seven to 10 days. Depending how Mary was feeling, I got to stop. Let's pull over. Think about it. They arrive in Bethlehem and Joseph registered him and his wife and they are constituted a family which means that the child is born into the home of Joseph and Mary making the child born of the house and lineage of David. The child who's born in the humble town of Bethlehem will be of the lineage and house of King David which is profound implications for who this child is and will be. King David was the great ruler of Israel, the great shepherd of God's people, and now David's Lord is born. Think about that, why this is such a holy occasion, that even David's Lord is born in David's hometown of David's offspring according to his human nature. The birth of Jesus means that he will be the greater King David. He will be the great king. He will be the great shepherd. He will assume the eternal throne, and no one shall thwart him or get him off his throne. No, Jesus reigns now and for eternity. Praise be to God. And this was foretold 700 years, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. This was foretold, that this child would be born according to God's promise in Bethlehem. In Matthew chapter 5, for example, we have God promising a shepherd king who will feed his sheep with spiritual food and drink and protect them from the enemies of God, from themselves. Micah chapter 5 says, But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel." And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. The child is born in Bethlehem according to God's promise 700 years later. And by virtue of who he is, that is the ancient of days, he is the ruler of all nature, the ruler of all nations. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is shepherd of his church, his people, his flock. You, Christian, are under his gracious reign. Even though we walk through the valleys, even though we walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, he is still your king and shepherd and leads you to quiet waters. He leads you to your true home, your heavenly home. And in the meantime, in the meantime, he is your shepherd who brings you peace. Where does that peace come from when you're walking through that dark valley? Where does that peace come from when you're suffering illness and pain and sorrow? Where does that peace come from You see, peace isn't the absence of external troubles and tribulations. Peace is an inner, deep-seated knowledge and understanding and belief that there is no more enmity between you and God. There is peace between you and God. And because there's peace between you and God, no one can separate you from his love. No one can separate you from him. And though the the world may bring chaos into your life, and even your own sin bring chaos into your life, that peace for the Christian, the born-again believer, that remains because the child is born according to God's promise to bring you peace. For the Christmas season, or for any season in life where we celebrate holidays, Christmas, New Year's Eve, Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day, this can typically be the hardest day of the year for people, especially when you lost lost a loved one. Child is born. According to the promise, to bring you peace in your sadness. Not only peace in your sadness, but your loved one who knows the Lord knows peace himself fully in the heavenly places with their Lord and Savior Jesus. You see, friends, Luke wants us to know the certainty that what we believe is true. He investigated it. He sought out witnesses, eyewitnesses. But even more than that, this is God's word. God the Spirit worked through a servant, Luke, to have this word written for us so that we may read that this child is born in Bethlehem according to the promise and that this child alone brings peace to your weary, sin-sick, yes, sin-sick soul. Because again, if we're truly honest with ourselves, we see our sickness as a result of sin. And it is Jesus who came for sinners and not for the self-righteous. Is he your only peace? Is he your shepherd? Because only Jesus brings peace into our hearts because he is himself peace incarnate. Only Jesus brings security in our lives because he secured our salvation. He is himself our security. His kingdom is a kingdom of peace. And because of him, we dwell secure and safe in his almighty hands. And no one... No one, no one can snatch you out of his hands. Because the child is born who came to secure for us an eternal redemption. He came to be our ruler, our king who protects and brings peace to his people. But at the return of Christ, Yes, he's coming again. There is a second advent, a second coming. He will judge Satan. He will judge Satan's minions and send them into the lake of fire for eternity. And he will send to hell those who do not believe this record, this truth. And that's why on this Christmas day, there is a plea, a plea to you and me to hear the word and to respond in faith. Thirdly, the child is born a humble in humility. The child is born in humility. He is a humble king. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, And wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. God's one and only Son didn't come in the world in exaltation or in pomp and circumstance or a pomp and show like a great king or ruler would. There wasn't a great parade. He wasn't born in an exalted state or a great castle or house. Rather, the child is born in humility, born a humble king of the Jews and a humble king of all nations. He was born in the most humblest of circumstances, in the most humblest of places in the land of Judah, Bethlehem, having been born in a cattle stall, lying in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. That is The inn is a guest house, so actually the same word inn is used at the end of the gospel, according to Luke, known as the upper room, a place where people got together together to fellowship together. Mary wrapped the little child in swaddling cloths or strips of linen. Maybe you can imagine the sight and the sound and the smells. I'm sure you can, having lived in DeMont. Many of you can imagine that. That was the first thing that struck me when I moved to this area. The smells. But that's where the Christ child is. Lying in a manger, that is a cattle trough, a feeding trough, where they feed animals, we have the humiliation of a king, the king of glory, the king of heaven and earth, the holy one lying in a cattle trough where animals feed. Why does he go and humble himself in such a way? Well, I'll tell you why. Scripture tells us why. Because if we don't know why He came in such a way, we've missed it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, though He was rich, the second person of the blessed Holy Trinity Exalted in the heavenly places. Worshipped by angels. Eternal. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, Christian. For your sake and my sake. He became what? He became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. He humbled himself taking on human flesh and human nature, being born in this way, in humility, in humiliation. Taking on the humiliation of the cross so that we might become rich in God. The child is born and lay in a manger because there's no room for him in the inn. There's no room for him in the inn or upper room where people of other statuses stayed. But no, here the family is in a cattle stall or probably maybe even a cave where they kept animals. But this isn't the last time we have this word in. as I mentioned at the end of Luke. And what happens in this guest room? What happens in this upper room? This king will show his ultimate act of humiliation when he celebrates the Passover for the last time and where he inaugurates a new feast, a joyful feast, the Lord's Supper. Because in the upper room, in that inn, they celebrated what Jesus Christ will do for the forgiveness of sins by shedding his precious blood so that we are forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. The ultimate act of humiliation, when the humble king gave his body and soul, gave his life to save us from our sins and grant us eternal life. This is the good news of the Christmas story that the child is born in Bethlehem and his mission was to come and die so that we have life. And if you don't know this child, this Jesus, the Christ, repent and believe in him. Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ. Know his forgiving love and mercy. And he cleanses. He forgives. He gives new life and hope. Congregation, Luke recorded the truth of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, God being the ultimate author of the scriptures, and God the Holy Spirit led these biblical authors using their personalities and giftedness to write the Gospels and other books of the Bible for our good and to glorify His name. How will you receive it today? and every day when this word is preached to you or taught to you. Young people, how will you receive this word? What say you about this child who is born? What testimony do you have? What is the significance? What is the importance of this child being born to you and for you? If someone were to ask you today, Merry Christmas, how would you respond? What does Christmas mean to you? Christmas means that the Christ child, the son of the living God, has visited us in the flesh to save you and me from our sin and misery, granting forgiveness and eternal life. God is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. Run to him. Come to him. Learn of him. Believe in him. Trust in him. May the Holy Spirit of God storm the walls of our hearts And bring us to repentance and faith in Christ. And for us who believe, may the Spirit deepen our faith in the truth and promise of God. And lead us to worship Him with all of our hearts. All of our being. Mind, body, soul, strength. Amen. Let's pray. O gracious God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that You would work in our hearts by the power of Your Spirit and grant to us, O Lord, a deeper zeal to know You, the true God of heaven and earth and the Son whom You have sent, Jesus Christ, who is the Son of righteousness, who is the Son who has risen in our hearts through faith in His name and has granted to His people new birth. Oh, Father, we thank You that the Son of God humbled Himself and is indeed our humble King, King David's greater Son, King David's Lord, indeed is born, and indeed reigns now eternally at your right hand. Oh, Father, we pray that you would give us praise on our lips, that our hearts would be wholly committed to you, and that our lips would declare our gratitude and praise for who you are and what you have done for us in sending your one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.